Section 18 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter 37. London, April 26th, Old Style, 1748. Dear boy, I am extremely pleased with your continuation of the history of the Reformation, which is one of those important eras that deserves your utmost attention, and of which you cannot be too minutely informed. You have doubtless considered the causes of that great event, and observed that disappointment and resentment had a much greater share in it than a religious zeal or an abhorrence of the errors and abuses of popery. Luther, an Augustine monk, enraged that his order, and consequently himself, had not the exclusive privilege of selling indulgences, but that the Dominicans were led into a share of that profitable but infamous trade, turns reformer, and exclaims against the abuses, the corruption, and the idolatry of the Church of Rome, which were certainly gross enough for him to have seen long before, but which he had at least acquiesced in, till what he called the rights, that is, the profit, of his order came to be touched. It is true the Church of Rome furnished him ample matter for complaint and reformation, and he laid hold of it ably. This seems to me the true cause of that great and necessary work, but whatever the cause was, the effect was good, and the reformation spread itself by its own truth and fitness, and was conscientiously received by great numbers in Germany and other countries, and was soon afterward mixed up with the politics of princes, and as it always happens in religious disputes, became the specious covering of injustice and ambition. Under the pretense of crushing heresy, as it was called, the House of Austria meant to extend and establish its power in the empire, as, on the other hand, many Protestant princes, under the pretense of extirpating idolatry, or at least of securing toleration, meant only to enlarge their own dominions or privileges. These views respectively, among the chiefs on both sides, much more than true religious motives, continued what were called the religious wars in Germany, almost uninterruptedly, till the affairs of the two religions were finally settled by the Treaty of Munster. Were most historical events traced up to their true causes, I fear we should not find them much more noble or disinterested than Luther's disappointed avarice, and therefore I look with some contempt upon those refining and sagacious historians, who ascribe all, even the most common events, to some deep political cause, whereas mankind is made up of inconsistencies, and no man acts invariably up to his predominant character. The wisest man sometimes acts weakly, and the weakest sometimes wisely. Our jarring passions, our variable humors, nay, our greater or lesser degree of health and spirits, produce such contradictions in our conduct, that I believe those are the oftenest mistaken who ascribe our actions to the most seemingly obvious motives, and I am convinced that a light supper, a good night's sleep, and a fine morning have sometimes made a hero of the same man, who by an indigestion, a restless night, and rainy morning, would have proved a coward. Our best conjectures, therefore, as to the true springs of actions, are but very uncertain, and the actions themselves are all that we must pretend to know from history. That Caesar was murdered by twenty-three conspirators, I make no doubt, but I very much doubt that their love of liberty, and of their country, was their sole, or even principal motive, and I dare say that, if the truth were known, we should find that many other motives at least concurred, even in the great Brutus himself, such as pride, envy, personal pique, and disappointment. Nay, I cannot help carrying my Pyrrhonism still further, and extending it often to historical facts themselves, at least to most of the circumstances with which they are related, and every day's experience confirms me in this historical incredulity. 
Do we ever hear the most recent fact related exactly in the same way, by the several people who were at the same time eyewitnesses of it? No. One mistakes, another misinterprets, and others warp it a little to their own turn of mind or private views. A man who has been concerned in a transaction will not write it fairly, and a man who has not cannot. But notwithstanding all this uncertainty, history is not the less necessary to be known, as the best historians are taken for granted, and are the frequent subjects both of conversation and writing. Though I am convinced that Caesar's ghost never appeared to Brutus, yet I should be much ashamed to be ignorant of that fact, as related by the historians of those times. Thus the pagan theology is universally received as matter for writing and conversation, though believed now by nobody, and we talk of Jupiter, Mars, Apollo, etc. as gods, though we know that if they ever existed at all, it was only as mere mortal men. This historical Pyrrhonism, then, proves nothing against the study and knowledge of history, which of all other studies is the most necessary for a man who is to live in the world. It only points out to us not to be too decisive and peremptory, and to be cautious how we draw inferences for our own practice from remote facts, partially or ignorantly related, of which we can, at best, but imperfectly guess, and certainly not know the real motives. The testimonies of ancient history must necessarily be weaker than those of modern, as all testimony grows weaker and weaker, as it is more and more remote from us. I would, therefore, advise you to study ancient history, in general, as other people do, that is, not to be ignorant of any or those facts which are universally received, upon the faith of the best historians, and whether true or false, you have them as other people have them. But modern history, I mean particularly that of the last three centuries, is what I would have you apply to with the greatest attention and exactness. There the probability of coming at the truth is much greater, as the testimonies are much more recent. Besides anecdotes, memoirs, and original letters, often come to the aid of modern history. The best memoirs that I know of are those of Cardinal de Retz, which I have once before recommended to you, and which I advise you to read more than once with attention. There are many political maxims in these memoirs, most of which are printed in italics. Pray attend to and remember them. I never read them, but my own experience confirms the truth of them. Many of them seem trifling to people who are not used to business, but those who are feel the truth of them. It is time to put an end to this long, rambling letter, in which, if any one thing can be of use to you, it will more than pay the trouble I have taken to write it. Adieu. End of section 18. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.